You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Erico here as always with Ryan Goldfarb. It's good to be back. I think we're on about a one month break. A little bit. Yeah, I think we've both been on vacation and busy with a lot of projects we're doing. This is going to be an episode following up our Atlantic City episode that we did a, a few months back that we got a lot of very positive feedback on. We've Ryan and I have been very busy over the past few months on Atlantic City investments. We were trying to get a lot of stuff ready for the start of summer, the end of last month. We're, it's June now, but uh, didn't entirely succeed in doing that. But we have a lot of things that are almost ready. We have a lot of projects in the works as well that are at the beginning stages of their renovation. But what we want to do with this episode is talk specifically about a few of the houses that we have that are operational, go a little bit deeper into some of the numbers for one house in particular that have, has been operational for a year at this point, or just shy of a year, as a way to illustrate kind of how we operate, the numbers that we work with. And I think also to highlight the excitement that we feel about some of these deals, because in the previous episode, we talked about how great some of these deals are but we didn't really talk specifically. We kind of talked very high level. So we're going to go deeper into four different projects and uh, very, very deep into one project. So let's go back maybe to, let's first talk high level about these four projects. So let's start at the beginning and then we can zoom into one in particular. So Ryan, do you want to take it away? Sure. So of the four that we're talking about today, uh, I guess we can refer to them by their street name. Street names. So we have Magellan, we have Beach, we have New Hampshire, and we have Murray. The first three of those, so Magellan, Beach, and Murray, we acquired about two years ago. Uh, It was the second half of 2019. Magellan was the first of the four that we had online. That one... We brought online just prior to July 4th last summer. Beach, we've had online since about March. Murray was a similar timeline. And New Hampshire, I guess that's not actually active as of yet. So we can leave that out of the mix for now. But that's that's been our main push now. We're in the process of furnishing that and are really excited about the prospects of how that's going to fare this summer. Um, We hope to have that online in the coming weeks. So for the purposes of this conversation, Magellan is going to be the one that we'll do a deep dive on a little bit later. But to set the stage a little bit, each of Beach and Magellan started off as three-bedroom houses that we got renovated into four-bed, two-bath houses. I think Magellan was advertised as a two-bedroom house. Oh, wow. I think so. Yeah. I stand corrected. Frankly, I think when we bought it, it was... Gutted it was, it was already, so house. it was a zero-bedroom <laughs> house. <laughs> but we sort of modeled Beach after Magellan because we finished that one slightly, or we started that one slightly after we had already started Magellan. Both of those have fared, have fared very well. We paid... We can go one by one into these. Yeah, but let's just, start sequentially. You actually listed them, I think, sequentially in the right? order that we bought them. Right. But so we can start with Magellan if we're going to go sequentially. Yeah. So we bought that one, I want to say it was... July or something of 2019. We paid about $35,000 for that. And 
ultimately we put in just shy of about $90,000 in renovations. That included a full gut, framing everything, new plumbing, new electrical, new HVAC with central air. We installed new flooring throughout, new sheetrock, obviously all new kit and all new kitchen with fairly high-end cabinetry and quartz countertops and stainless steel appliances. We did two full new bathrooms, obviously new tile throughout, all new fixtures on the plumbing and electrical side. We didn't do the roof. I think that's the one thing we didn't do. Yeah, we didn't do the roof. We didn't really have to do much to the siding. We did paint the exterior. Yeah, we painted the exterior. And I think there were a few areas where we patched prior to painting. Just to like give the context, this is a house that we bought for (laughs) $35,000. It's about... I want to say 1,200 square feet. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I think maybe that might a be generous. Bit, yeah, yeah, it's probably a little bit less 10, than 50, 1,100. Yeah, in that range. I think it was advertised in the MLS as a two-bedroom, one-bathroom. And it was advertised, I remember this, it was listed for like 55 grand or 60 yeah. grand or something yeah, like yeah. that. So we just came in and offered them 35 grand cash. <laughs> I think what we knew from the very beginning with this particular house, which is also true of um, Beach Avenue and also true of the other two, actually all the houses are the same thing, is that we saw the existing layout and we realized that we could add additional bedrooms to that layout. So I think that they had framed it, I'm pretty sure they'd framed it as a two-bedroom. Upstairs, they had two bedrooms and a bathroom. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's interesting to think about in retrospect is that I think our original thesis when we decided to try, when we decided to, to take on these projects was that we wanted to sort of be like a value-oriented alternative to hotel rooms. And I think we, we sort of intended to do these like purpose built or like purpose renovated properties for Airbnb. And I think that that has largely been borne out by the results that we'll get into shortly. But I think, you know, if you were, if you were renovating a house to flip in a normal suburban market, if you have a thousand fifty square feet, you're probably not going to try to squeeze four bedrooms and two bathrooms into it. But when you're doing this specifically for short-term rental purposes and people are only going to be there for two, three, four, five days at a time, there are some sacrifices that you can make that make it much more optimal for those shorter-term stays that people who would be living there long-term might find a little bit less appealing. And I think that we've, you know, I, I think that the results kind of speak for themselves. I think had had this same place been renovated as a two-bedroom house versus the four-bedroom house that we ended up with, I think our our numbers would have looked a lot different. Yeah. And and just for some geographic context, this is in the Bungalow Park neighborhood of Atlantic City, which is essentially the the tip or near the northern tip of Ebsecan Island. It's kind of like when you go through Atlantic City, Atlantic City's sort of oriented north to south. It's in the northern part of Atlantic City. It faces and it faces the island that houses Borgata, the water club. Golden Nugget and Harris. Right. So we're not like super, super close to the beach. You can walk to the beach, although I think probably most people would, you know, drive to the beach or take uh, like a jitney to the beach. So, you know, it's it's in Atlantic City. It's not exactly on the beach, but we're actually quite close to the water. You can see the water from the house. It's right. just on water that's accessible via a beach. And you better believe we advertise it as water views. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Speaking of beach, the second house that we uh, that we got also in the same neighborhood, about maybe ten blocks away, is Beach Avenue. Yeah. So Beach Avenue, I think we paid right around the same amount. Maybe we paid forty thousand dollars with a credit of a few thousand dollars. I think we paid like I thought we paid maybe like fifty with a credit or something like that. Maybe it was fifty I, I think with it a five thousand dollar credit. Like that. Yeah, it was in the same range. So Beach is actually very similar 
layout, at least when they were gutted, they were very similar layouts. It's a fairly narrow house. It's compared to compared to Magellan's ten, you know, a thousand fifty or eleven hundred square feet. I think Beach is about fifteen hundred square feet. We actually went with a pretty similar layout where we have three bedrooms and a full bathroom on the top floor, and the main floor has an open concept kitchen, living room, dining area with an additional bedroom and full bathroom towards the back of the house. So they both have kind of a similar flow and a similar layout, but Beach has larger bedrooms, slightly higher, like taller ceilings. And one additional benefit to, to Beach is that it's it's not detached, uh, sorry, it's not attached on either side, whereas Magellan is attached on one side. So we have light coming, natural light coming in from all four sides of the house at Beach. Uh, I would say the one downside to Beach relative to Magellan is that there's no off-street parking, which has, knock on wood, not been too much of a hurdle to date. The numbers for Beach, we'll get into via talking about Magellan. That Magellan is the one they're going to do a deep dive in, but the numbers for Beach are pretty similar from a renovation perspective. I think we spent about the same amount of money. I think we were a little higher on Beach. Maybe a little bit higher. I think we pushed a hundred grand on Beach. Yeah. We made some upgrades that we didn't do on... Magellan, I know, like we did a tankless hot water heater, for example. We replaced um, all the windows. We replaced, yeah, we replaced a lot of windows 90%. there. We painted the the exterior, and and we're dealing, we were dealing with thirty or forty percent more, probably thirty percent more square footage there. So everything was slightly more expensive. Um, I think we also did a little bit more to the exterior. We had a front porch that we refinished. When did we close on beach? Was that I want to say we bought it like end of. 19 like november of 2019 yeah. but i think we finalized like funding and everything after the fact which was maybe february or march right, of 2020 right. that's house number two so magellan uh, that we were just talking about we've put online in essentially july of 2020 so now we're in june of 2021 it's been almost 12 months of operational history beach we put online, I want to say March, March. Yeah, yeah, March, March of, of 20, 2021. Right. And then the two more that we're talking about, uh, we have New Hampshire. That's the next uh, sequentially that we closed. Well, I guess we probably bought so New Hampshire really before been, Beach, but yeah. around the same time. <laughs> so New Hampshire is mm. not in the same neighborhood, but geographically not that far away, maybe like a mile and a half away. Yeah, from these Beach other- is kind of the midway point between New Hampshire and Magellan. Right. So New Hampshire is on the very, very tip of Epsican Island. It's basically on the beach. Uh, there's one house between our house and the beach. It's about, I want to say, a 30-second walk or something. I forgot I timed it yeah. uh, to get to the actual beach. And from that house, you can see both the Atlantic Ocean, which is to uh, your east, and then the inlet area, which separates Epsican Island from where Brigantine is is kind of like to your north. So that's a very different house from Beach and Magellan. Ryan, do you want to describe it? Sure. So New Hampshire, I would say, is about double the size of Beach, although in some respects it feels even larger because it has a full unfinished basement and just kind of has like a towering presence to it. So we bought that one and that one actually was occupied when we purchased it. And the or prior to us purchasing it, the seller moved out of the country, but he had been living there. The house had been in his family for generations and we bought it and inherited a lot of his stuff. So not only did we have to clean out the, or demo the house, but we had to clean out everything that was there prior. So I think we probably went through 
I ate dumpsters, eight to 10 dumpsters, 30 yeah. yard dumpsters, just to get the house cleaned up and to do kind of like the first phase of demolition. But ultimately, after what amounted to about a year of work on the zoning front in order to get permission uh, or a land use certificate to allow us to go through with the renovation as a single family house, we ended up embarking on this renovation to reconstruct the house or to renovate the house as a seven bedroom. I think bedroom. reconstruct is, is the right <laughs> word for that. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a seven bedroom, four and a half bath house spanning three floors with sort of a rebuilt rear deck that spanned from the first floor to the third floor. The third floor offering some beautiful, almost panoramic views of the beach um, and looking right out at what used to be Revel Casino, which is now Ocean Casino Resort. We also have a, a large front porch with a, a deck above the front porch. And obviously there's just a tremendous amount of score footage. We went a little higher end with the finishes there and it just, I mean, we're at the finish line here and I don't think either of us could be happier with with the way it turned out. It's, it's. I mean, yeah. regardless of where it was located, it'd be a beautiful house, but it's... We did truly everything to this house. I mean, we reframed every wall, basically every floor, did the roof, the siding. Replaced a lot of the structure too, even yeah. the joists. And joists, the- yep, yeah. I mean, we really did everything, so... We bought that house for $150,000. And where are we at construction was? I think we're probably... I think we're probably going to end up in the 325 range. So about $325,000 for the entire renovation. I would say it works out to a shade over $100 a square foot here, which is probably not that far off from where we've been at some of these smaller renovations. If you take into account that for Beach and Magellan, we... Didn't really have to replace any windows. We didn't do any siding. We didn't do a roof. We did almost nothing to the structure. If you say that, you know, all that added work amounts to the difference between spending $75 or $80 a square foot versus $105 a square foot, that probably sounds like it scales properly um, or scales consistently. And that one is not done, as Ryan alluded to, but will be done in the next two weeks, <laughs> I hope. Um, so we're, we, we hope to get that done by Memorial Day weekend, but we were unable to do that for various reasons. But uh, I think that this house, that house is worth its own episode if there's interest, because that house is a real, I, I think has a lot to talk about and learn and teach from that experience, um, good and bad. One, one thing I'll say about that house and specifically the, the renovation of that house, if not for the sort of bizarre zoning in that area, I think that house is a is like case in point on why new construction is easier than renovation of a hundred plus year old home. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a hundred years. It's like a little over a yeah. hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. But nonetheless, so our just to recap, um, purchase for about one fifty, renovation of about three twenty five, notwithstanding holding costs and some of the other soft costs. Puts us at a little under $500,000 for a total cost basis. And based on a sale that we are intimately familiar with around the corner, we're pretty confident that the appraisal on this should be in the high sixes, maybe low $700,000 range. Oh, really? Wow. So we hope hope to have uh, forced some equity, but more than anything, we're really excited about the prospects of this as a short-term rental because... 
for any number of reasons, it just kind of checks every box on yeah. what you'd want for like a, a place to go for a long weekend in the summer. Totally. And then the last house we'll briefly talk about before we do a deep dive is Murray Avenue. And we bought that house in 2020. What was the purchase price for that? We paid $192,000 for that. I want to say we closed that one in around November as well. Yeah. Actually, that was November of, yeah, it was November of 2020. 2020. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we paid, yeah, we paid about 192000 for that. That one, I think, was advertised as a th- three-bedroom. I think it was advertised as a three-bed, two-bath. But it had, over at various points in time, there were, I think, two separate exterior porches or decks or patios that had been enclosed and folded into the interior space. So... Ultimately, what we ended up with after maybe a sixty or sixty-five thousand dollar, probably about a sixty-five thousand dollar renovation, there was we ended up with functionally a five-bedroom, two-bath house with an additional sixth room that has another bed in it, another two beds actually that you need to walk through in order to get to bedroom five. So functionally, it's six sleeping spaces. And again, for Airbnb purposes, it's just super ideal because this, the capacity there is like you can comfortably sleep 12 people, maybe even more. And there's a large open living area. And maybe the most attractive thing about the house is that it's on the waterfront. It's sort of lagoon front or bay front or situated on a canal. I don't know how you would describe the waterway. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really cool. It's in a, a nice residential neighborhood. It's it's actually a ranch style house, which is very atypical of a lot of the housing stock in that area. So it, it sort of presents as feeling a little bit more, a little bit larger and more private than a lot of other places because you're not right on top of neighbors. Uh, and it's got about a hundred feet of frontage on the bay. We have a dock there actually too, which is pretty cool. We're in the process of getting the approvals to be able to rebuild that. But I guess we can we can get to the revenue side in a little while, but just to tie up the numbers there, we paid 192, put about 65 into it. So our cost basis is just shy of about 260. And that was primarily in redoing the kitchen, right. uh, redoing one bathroom, new flooring, new flooring, reconfiguring the rooms somewhat. I didn't even mention the uh, rec room. The garage, yeah, we we finished the garage and made it into a rec room, uh, which has been great. It's like a area for ping pong. There's a vintage arcade machine there, a bar, basketball, like arcade basketball, basketball game, dartboard, TV. Great. It's, I, I think, especially the last week or two we've had here, it's been really rainy. So I know Memorial Day weekend, the group that was there really enjoyed having that space. When yeah, they, I went when in and beach I, plans failed. I saw the dartboard and there were more dart marks on the dartboard than I could ever even conceive. I mean, like it must have been like, I mean, hundreds of different dart marks. I so, thought you were going to say there were more dart dart marks on the wall. Than there also the were a lot on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot on the wall, yeah. We're cost basis there, just shy of 260. And I just, think based just on to, some... Just to highlight it, it's a... a piece of property on the water in Atlantic <laughs> City that I believe, Ryan, you said when we bought was the cheapest prop- waterfront property that you could buy on the ocean in New Jersey at the time. Uh, Maybe by far. Some, yeah. yeah. I, I, at least from my, from my search. That, Let alone that, it being six bedroom, six-ish bedrooms and two bathrooms. And, uh, with 100 feet of frontage. I think that's the craziest thing to me. I mean, it's not, it's not so insane that you might find a little like 
cabin or a bungalow on the waterfront somewhere where you have maybe like 25 or 50 feet of frontage right on the water and like a one or two bedroom structure. But this is like a large, comfortable, fairly luxurious feeling house with the dock <laughs> right on the water exactly yeah, yeah so based on i mean there there are some new construction nearby that that's sold anywhere from like the high threes to the i think into the 500s so assuming even just like a a fairly aggressive discount to those i've got to think our value is at least in the threes maybe somewhere in the mid threes around 350 so again there's probably a fair amount of equity in there and we hope to recapture that through a refinance soon but for the time being, we're just happy with the final product and really yeah. excited about the prospects there for short-term so those rental purposes. Are, those are kind of our cost numbers for all these properties. For three of the four, we have revenue numbers for partial years, but we want to dive into one property in particular, which is the Magellan property. And we're going to use those numbers to kind of extrapolate and show what we're doing for the other properties, what we're guessing for. We have numbers, partial numbers for these for part of the year. But just to recap, so Magellan Avenue which is the first one we talked about, about that for $35,000, did a huge renovation on that for about $90,000. Beach Avenue, we bought for 45, something in that range, did another large renovation on that. It's about $100,000. New Hampshire Avenue, we bought for $150,000. We're probably going to be all in around three, uh, with the construction cost around three something 475 all in oh, oh i'm sorry the construction, the construction specifically yeah. about 325 325 or so and then murray we bought for just shy of 200,000 and we put in about what 60 you said yeah about 65 65 so that's where we're at cost wise for these properties and they range you know from the four bedroom two bathroom of murray and beach up to i'm sorry for magellan and beach up to six bedrooms two bathrooms for Murray and then New Hampshire is seven, seven four and a half, four and a half baths. Yep. So let's then now we set the stage. Let's do a deep dive into Magellan. So we bought Magellan. We, I think it took us a little bit of time to get construction drawings. I'm trying to remember the timing exactly of yeah, th whatever happened. I, I think from the time we closed to the time we welcomed our first guests, I want to say it was about a year. Yeah. So I don't think we broke ground for maybe three months. I want to say four months. So we bought yeah. it in mid 2019. Right. And I don't recall us starting construction until closer to the end of 2019. I think we right. did a lot of construction over that winter. Right. But so let's just take the actual number there. So we, we actually have our numbers that we know. I would say that it was right at 90,000, which is what we said before for the construction cost of Magellan. Right. And then we furnished the property. So this is when doing short-term rentals uh, in Atlantic City or anywhere, there's the construction costs, the renovation costs, presumably, you know, do some renovations. In this case, it was a huge amount of renovations. And then there's the cost of furnishing it, uh, which in our case, we have right at $12,000. So kind of our, uh, if you take the purchase price, the renovation, and the furnishing, that's $137,000, summing everything up, $35,000 plus $90,000 plus $12,000. So kind of our all-in cost is $137,000. And just to be clear, this doesn't count holding costs, other things like that. We actually done other podcast episodes where we talk about the risk of not including those costs when you're trying to figure out 
how expensive things will be for like a flip or whatever else. But in this case, because the house is $35,000 and the taxes on it are extremely low, as you'll see, the holding costs were not really that substantially high. And and one other thing to point out on this one, we bought this one cash. We raised private money. So we had investor cash. We didn't have a hard money loan on this, which I think is where a lot of people get into trouble with overlooking the holding costs. So our our monthly burn, if you want to call it that, was was a lot lower on this than it might have otherwise been. Right. And at, at the end of the day, we refinanced this property. I think we finally closed. There was a bit of a saga to refinance it last year in 2020 because of COVID-related uh, issues. But we finally closed in August of last year and the house appraised at 175000 And we took out, I think, 80% or 75%. I'm not, recall exactly. Yeah, I think 70 or 75%. Okay. So essentially we got back that number that I said before, which is 137,000. We got back right around that number through the financing. So we, as Ryan mentioned, we raised out private money for this. We actually didn't put down almost any money ourselves. And then we were able to return to our investors all of their money back plus a set return at the end of the one-year hold period. So and if those numbers don't totally add up, I think something else to keep in mind is by the time we had paid back our investors, we had the property live and operational for at least several months. So there was several months and they were peak months at that. We had several really strong months worth of cash flow coming in. So that also helped bring some money to the table to help pay off those investors. Right. So the, the renovations were done in June of 2020. And I think we welcomed our first guests for July the, 1st fourth, or something. Yeah, the yeah. 4th of July, like weekend period of time. So right now we're recording this episode, it's June 9th. So we have almost 12 months of revenue data from this property. And with all the bookings that we have for this month, I think we're basically booked for the render this month there. Yeah, we're probably um, about 75% booked for June. Um, so I think the numbers that John is going to quote in a moment are the 11 months of actual collections plus the confirmed bookings for the month of June, which would give us in totality 12 full months. Right. And that number is $70,000, which I just want to, you know, set the stage about how astronomical a number that is. So we're, we're talking about $70,000 in revenue, you know, we'll talk about the expenses in just a moment, but $70,000 in revenue on this property that we bought for $35,000. And that appraised at $175,000. We're grossing $70,000 in cash. And we've already gotten of we already received of that like 60, whatever thousand. And we're waiting on the whatever the payouts are for the month of June 2021. And to put into perspective how wildly astronomical or wildly crazy these revenue numbers are, I was looking back recently at our Trello board, which we probably haven't looked at in two years because we no longer use Trello. But I was looking back at our original board where we were analyzing this deal prior to purchasing it. And our original expectation or our original forecast when we were underwriting this was for fifty to $55,000 a year in annual income. And I think our gross revenue based on these projections is probably 30% higher than that. And obviously we bought the deal, we bought the property based on that fifty dollars or $55,000 projection. So we would have been certainly happy with that. But this is just far and away exceeded our even wildest expectations. Absolutely. So revenue numbers can be somewhat misleading. So let's talk about the expenses because 
it is a short-term rental. So the expenses for a short-term rental are higher than you would have doing a long-term uh, traditional rental. But even with those expenses, the numbers are still astronomical in my opinion. But so the uh, the biggest two line items are related to it being a short-term rental specifically. That's the management fee and cleaning costs. So management fee is 15% of gross revenue just off the top. We actually more or less self-manage this property. So that most of that money comes to us. But for the purposes of this analysis, we're assuming that that's that's not money that we're receiving. So 15% of 70,000 is 10,500, which is just off the top as a management fee. And then the second amount is cleaning. So we don't include cleaning in the management fee. Cleaning is what happens when a guest leaves. We have to clean all the linens, clean all the surfaces, get everything ready to go. This is separate from buying toilet paper or paper towels or replacements, just the actual hard labor costs of cleaning. That's $12,000 more or less for the 12-month period of time. One thing to point out also, because I think that this can get a little hairy with people talking about how great short-term rentals can be, people will often say, you know, like cleaning fees might be expensive, but they're covered by the guests, which is true. But there are plenty of people who will quote their revenue numbers to be inclusive of the cleaning fees. So they're artificially inflating their revenue numbers. So they need to back them out when on the expense side. So we're trying to be as transparent as we can here and ensure that we're telling the full story. So if you were to say, like, there are really two ways to look at our income and expense numbers, you could either say that the way that we're showing it now, which is that our revenue is about $70,000 a year and our expenses are about $12,000 a year higher because they include the cleaning fees. Or you could say that our net rental income is not seventy or $71,000, but it's $59,000. And that, that extra $12,000 is a cleaning reimbursement by the guests. Right. Yeah, I think I, I, I like laying it out the way that we're laying it out because people always ask, well, isn't cleaning a big expense? Right. And yes, it is. It's probably the biggest single line item expense for a given property. Right. The management fee at 10500 the cleaning at 12000 Taxes for this property are $2,876 a year. So again, that's extremely low. <laughs> we actually got reassessed down recently. Um, not that it was high before. Maybe to some people out there, this is high, but this is New Jersey. So for New say, Jersey, it's, it's still fairly, it was fairly high when we bought it for a property that we bought for 35000 Like yes. it was a $35,000 property. And I think when we bought it, taxes were five grand, True. which is about a 20% or yeah. 18% <laughs> assessment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So we're, you know, around three grand for taxes, flood insurance, uh, which is a necessity in Atlantic City is $900 a year. Our property insurance is $1,800 a year. And that includes specific short term rental endorsement. Uh, so it's higher than you would otherwise expect for a property that's uh, valued at what it is. We have our repairs and maintenance, which is the summation of a lot of different kind of miscellaneous expenses that we'd had last year is right at $4,000. Our utilities are $500 for the internet uh, per year, $3,600 for gas and electric, $1,900 for water and sewer, and then $4,000 for, we included miscellaneous expenses. Those include things like accounting, our short-term rental license, just other miscellaneous stuff that we end up paying for in the cost, in the, the context of operating the property could include supplies periodically, things like that. We also have a mortgage on the property. So... Uh, as Ryan mentioned, as we both mentioned, we finance the property 
the middle of last year with a private lender. We have a mortgage on the property and the principal and interest that we pay on that mortgage in an entire year is right below 10,000. It's $9,960 per year. So in totality, summing up all of those expenses, that's the management fee, cleaning, taxes, different insurance, uh, repairs and maintenance, all the utilities, miscellaneous expenses, and the mortgage payment, that's $52,036 that we've spent for the 12-month period just to operate the property. So subtracting those numbers gives a net profit of right at 18000 a little bit below $18,000. So that is our true like money in the pocket amount after we've paid out everything. Does that sound right to you, Ryan? Yeah, I think one other thing that came to mind was Airbnb does charge the host a fee. They charge a, a processing fee of about 3%, which is effectively the cost for anyone to process a credit card transaction. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that our revenue numbers here are actual collections. So these numbers are net of Airbnb's 3% fee. So again, if you were to gross that up, you could probably say that it'd be about $2,500 higher than it is. And there's also a guest fee as well. So the guests themselves are paying more... Fees and taxes. Fees and taxes. The guests themselves are paying more, like on their Airbnb account or whatever it is, they're paying more dollars than we're receiving by a fair amount. I don't know what the fee is for guests, but yeah. It's pretty substantial in New Jersey, at least. It... I think the way that it breaks down is it it's about 14% for Airbnb's service fee. So that that's their fee for operating the platform. And then the other two fees are the New Jersey sales tax, which is I think six and five eighths or something like that. And the New Jersey state occupancy fee, which is about 5%. So in total, the taxes and fees generally tack on about 25% on top of what the host receives. We don't, as hosts, have insight into what a guest pays exactly. So we don't know that, that you know, amount. We're, we're, as Ryan mentioned, we're talking about numbers that we actually received from Airbnb, which is net of all of the fees and taxes and whatever else that might be payable. So just circling back to the numbers themselves. Um, so if you take our, our revenue numbers and you back out the expenses excluding debt service, what does that amount to? It's it's about 71000 which is the revenue number, minus all of the expenses other than the mortgage, brings us to... It brings us to about $27,000 in profit. So that would be our net operating income if we're talking about trying to arrive at a, a cap rate, which is going to be the next step. So if you take that net operating income of about $27,000 and run that against our appraised value at the time of the refinance of $175,000, you are left with a cap rate of... 15.96%. So call it 16%. That's pretty good. Which is very good. (laughs) Uh, For context, I I, I was talking... I've been talking to a few other investors in the multifamily space these days, and they've been relaying some examples of deals that they were looking at in... I wouldn't say tertiary markets, but certainly not like the Manhattans of the world. Like, you know, it's in areas like the Southeast and Texas, which have been very hot recently. And people are contemplating these multifamily deals, buying buying in at as-is cap rates of about 4%. I think some I've even heard of buying sub-4% cap rates. So we're at literally quadruple that. 
obviously it's a much different beast. It's much more operationally intensive, but we've, we've tried to bring it to an apple, like as much of an apples to apples comparison as, as possible by accounting for all of the cost of that additional work. And even when you account for the cost of that, I mean, to say that your returns are going to be more or less quadruple is, is still pretty yeah, and it, it, it becomes even more insane if you consider the fact that we are uh, the management fee that we just have as something payable to a third party of that. We probably get about 80 percent, 70 percent, something in that realm. Yeah, I mean, it um, kind of depends on scale because we're we're constantly reinvesting in that side of the business. As Actually, right. as of last night, we just hired another VA who's going to be full time. So I think soon we'll probably be at three full time VAs and... Uh, and then there's a, like you know the boots on the ground operation, and obviously there's a cost associated with my time and John's time to right. run this operation. But, but nonetheless, it is profitable. Yeah, on, on, on a on a numbers perspective, you're backing out you know 80 percent of the management fee because that ultimately gets paid to us, albeit through a different entity. The cap rate is you know in like a 20 percent range. So I guess the way of saying that, or one way of saying that, is there are other people doing similar things in our market who are probably experiencing, I mean, I'm talking like the the cream of the crop of other operators. There are probably other people who are Which experiencing- Which of course is the only people we compare ourselves to. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> um, but there are probably some of these other people who have two, three, four of these and operate them, them operate them themselves and are probably realizing a, a cap rate of close to 20% right. on these self-managed short-term rentals, which is, yeah. I mean, I'd, you'd be hard-pressed finding a better- better side hustle out there than that. So th this is kind of why in our previous Atlantic City episode, we talked about our excitement about Atlantic City in general, because these are the numbers that not only were predicting that we're getting, but they're actually better than what we predicted that we would get. And these numbers are completely agnostic to the value of the house. It doesn't matter for cash flow purposes, for cap rate calculations, what the house is valued at. And we are very happy and comfortable getting these numbers kind of all day long from all the different properties that we have. And so like to continue the story about the other properties that we mentioned in the beginning, Beach Avenue, I think right now is actually pacing ahead of Magellan Avenue in terms of revenue. Before we shift to those other properties, I want to highlight one other thing that I think is illustrative of just how great of an opportunity this has been for us. As we mentioned, this property that generates just north of $70,000 a year was appraised at $175,000 in Atlantic City. We just walked through all the numbers. One other data point to compare it to that I think is perhaps relevant is another two family that I own that we operate in North Jersey, um, specifically in Montclair, that we also do short-term rentals at. This property, I, I won't get into too many of the numbers, but it's it's was similarly repositioned, renovated, furnished and all that. It's now two apartments, two family house that I would guess is probably worth north of $800,000 in at least today's market, which is at least four times more valuable than Magellan, which we were just talking about. And for the sake of comparison, Magellan will bring in just north of $70,000 for this calendar year. Whereas this property in Montclair, this two family that's worth more than four times that will bring in probably just north of $90,000 for a year. And my brother and I own that property and are very happy with how it's performing. But I mean, just to compare those two against one another, the amount of, the amount of rental income you can generate per 
you know, value or per market value of, or per dollar of market value you buy in at is I, I have a hard time believing that you can do any better than what Atlantic City offers. And one caveat, I and mean, we've talked about this before with our thesis is that we are talking about small numbers. So something that, you know, cap rate doesn't give any sense of is the amount of investment and the amount of cash flow that are generating in raw dollar terms. So, you know, when people say like, oh my gosh, you're making a 16 cap or something on a property. Yes, that's true. Um, and it's an insane number. However, the actual cash flow that we're getting in any given year is say $18,000 or $20,000, which is not, you know, enough to uh, quit your job over or whatever, right? Obviously, if you can do that 10 times over or 20 times over, that becomes very interesting and a great opportunity. But we're not talking about a 16% cap rate on a million dollar investment here. We're talking about a property that's valued at $175,000. So that's that's the caveat. Uh, and as Ryan mentioned to the operational intensiveness, but that's the caveat with the numbers that we're talking about is that we make these insane returns, but they're on small numbers. And so our thesis of investing in Atlantic City has become, what if we could scale that? What if we could expand that to other properties and, you know, make a 16 cap or whatever it is in that range on 5, 10, 15, 20 different properties? Or even a 14 cap, we would say. Or even for. a 14 cap. <laughs> we would we would accept that. If you have deals at a 14 cap, please bring them to us. Yes, please. <laughs> Call us immediately. So let's briefly go back to the other properties that now that we've explained these numbers. So for Beach Avenue, which we only have uh, an operational history of about three months at this point, we are already trending above the revenue numbers that we see for Magellan Avenue on very similar expenses. Um, yeah, I think we'll probably be trending towards, if, if Magellan is 71, I've got to think Beach will be around 80 at least, mm -hmm. which again is far exceeds our wildest expectations when we And I think also Beach was valued at maybe 200,000. Right. Think. So yeah, we, it was a very similar process and a very similar model that we executed on with Beach as compared to Magellan. When we refinanced Beach, that appraised at 200 versus the 175 that Magellan appraised at. So it's maybe a, you know, that, that's, I would say, fairly consistent with the additional square footage that we have at, at Beach. Totally. And Murray Avenue, which is the six bedroom, two bathroom property on the water, is trending well above both. I'm quite confident we'll end up at or above $100,000 in gross revenue for the year on that one. Um, and again, we, you know, it, it, we, we paid, certainly paid more for that than we did for Beach or for Magellan. But with favorable financing, the carrying costs on it, all things, all else equal are not that much higher. So if it can do, if it can do twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year in more in added revenue, the cash flow numbers on that added revenue are certainly going to trick, trickle down far in excess of what our additional costs are for the size of the property. Totally. And then finally, with New Hampshire, which is not yet online, although depending on when you listen to this episode, it might be online by the time you listen to the episode or by the time we release it even, I hope so. But that I think we're guessing based on these numbers is going to be in the range of 150000 plus revenue-wise. Fingers crossed. I mean, it sounds like such an astronomical number. To, <laughs> just, just by comparison, we essentially underwrote that deal in our own, you know, uh, thinking with those numbers, even seeing the Magellan numbers, we thought, what, maybe 105, 110 yeah, we were, or something? We were, we were excited at the prospect of potentially breaking the $100,000 mark. I think, I think what these, 
you know, these, these properties that are coming up, New Hampshire specifically, um, there's actually another one that we'll probably talk about on a future episode that's, if you can believe it, even larger than New Hampshire uh, and similarly well-located. We're sort of testing the waters on what the ceiling is on a short-term rental in Atlantic City. Just how attractive can you make a place before you're just like priced so far above the competition that there's no longer a consistent enough of a market for it? And I think we're we're hoping that that mark can can enter the the realm of the two hundred thousand dollar a year in in gross revenue numbers. But if it ends up being one fifty, one sixty, that certainly will reach our performance threshold and and be where we need to be from a from a cash flow standpoint. Yeah. So I I think that these numbers hopefully will illustrate kind of the excitement that we described in our previous episode about Atlantic City, which was that we are really, notwithstanding all the stuff that we said in that episode about the growth of Atlantic City, the stuff, the cool stuff going on, the projects, our thesis and vision for Atlantic City being reborn, we are really excited just at the cash flow numbers that we're getting right now, completely agnostic to all the other stuff going on. So for us, the investment is we're really excited about the cash flow numbers and that I think drives amazing returns. However, if the properties end up appreciating because of macroeconomic factors or because of things happening in the city or whatever else, it's an even bigger, you know, home run. It turns it from like a home run to like a grand slam home run, right? I mean, it's it's a amazing amazing returns because in, you know, and frankly again, these properties that are grossing 100 grand, 150 grand a year if they were priced like a commercial property, there'd be no chance that they'd be valued at 300,000, 400,000, whatever they might ultimately be valued at. Using any sort of reasonable cap rate, they'd be valued at millions. If you take a, a you know, net operating income of $50,000 a year for one of these properties, if a class A, multi, or a you know, newer construction multifamily asset in the area was trading at a six cap, and to adjust for the risk of this kind of unique asset class of short-term rentals, if you were to say that something should trade at a seven and a half or eight cap, that $50,000 NOI that some of these properties can conceivably generate yields a value that it far exceeds what the quote-unquote market value of these assets is today. Um, and I think, I don't know that John and I would say that either of us are banking on the market value of these assets ever reaching that type of valuation, but it's at least a data point or a reason to believe that it's possible. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it for this episode, guys. I think we will return again. I, I Now that we talked about it, I really do want to do a deep dive into the New Hampshire project because I think that'd be a really cool... There's a lot about that that's that's good and bad. So, so. when we take this off air in a few minutes, uh, we'll see if John can convince me to do our next episode on the New Hampshire project. <laughs> In any case, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we always love hearing your feedback and comments. If you'd like to contact us, my email address is john, J-O-H-N, at libertyhudson.com. And Ryan is ryan, R-Y-A-N, at libertyhudson.com. If you are listening to this podcast in a way that allows you to like or subscribe to us, we really would appreciate that. It helps us out a lot and lets us know who's listening. But until next time, Take care and thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to visit us at BrickXBrickRealEstate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. 
Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and BrickXBrickRealEstate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.